Hello, and welcome to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. This podcast is produced by the Iowa State University Extension and Outreach Field Agricultural Engineering Team. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the pros and cons of spring manure application and hopefully get some insights and tips on why you might want to consider spring application and how to manage that for optimum agronomic and economic benefit. I'm Brian Doherty, field agricultural engineer with Iowa State University Extension Outreach, and I'll be joining the discussion with two guests on the podcast today. Our first guest is Dr. Dan Anderson. Dan is an associate professor in the Department of Agriculture and Biosystems Engineering at ISU and is our manure management specialist, affectionately known as Dr. Manure. Our second guest is Christina Tabakhorst. Christina is also a field agricultural engineer with ISU Extension based in Southeast Iowa. So Dan and Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us, Brian. Yeah, thanks, Brian. So start with Christina here. So I know we're here to talk about spring manure application, but Let's just back up a little bit and think about what happened last fall. We had some great weather. We had did have some manure that was applied earlier than what we would normally recommend. So can you just walk us through what people should be thinking about with fall manure timing and how that might impact what we do this spring? Yeah, so remembering last fall, it was really great conditions. Um, a lot of people were getting in the fields early. And so, yeah, it can be really tempting to apply manure early in the fall when we do get the crops out in a good time and we have those good conditions for field work. But we really need to try to wait until the soils are cool enough to be applying that nitrogen. So anhydrous ammonia and our, our liquid manures as well. So and that's all because just as you know, a reminder, those warm soils really drive that conversion of nitrogen. It goes from ammonium all the way to nitrate. And that um, nitrate can be easily lost from the soil when we when we do have excess moisture that moves through the soil. So it, it moves with that excess moisture. So that general recommendation is to wait until the soils are at least 50 degrees and cooling to apply that liquid manure to reduce that risk of the conversion and the loss with moisture. So uh, last fall, if you did have manure that went on um, maybe earlier than that, maybe earlier than the 50 degrees and cooling, you'll really want to ask yourself, how much of that nitrogen we still um, have, how much might have been lost, and what do we need to replace this spring? So if the soils were still warmer than 50 degrees, let's say all the way up to 60 degrees, because I definitely saw some of that, you know, early in the fall, a large portion of that ammonium was probably converted to nitrate with the warm soils. And so then if your area experienced periods where you had some excess moisture last fall, or maybe does so yet this spring, it's likely that some of that nitrate either leached out or will still leach out this spring if there was that excess moisture. So depending on your region, and most of the state did stay pretty dry through last fall, though there were some parts, I think, in down central Iowa that may have had some excess soil moisture. So um, I guess one tool to help determine if your corn might be short on nitrogen this spring is the late spring soil nitrate test. There's a publication you can go to look at to see how it's done and how to interpret your results. Um, but the so with that test, you're basically taking soil samples uh, down to 12 inches, and it's when the corn plants are between like six to 12 inches tall, which usually happens like late May, maybe early June. And then you compare your, your results to an index value, and it tells you basically how likely you are to be short on nitrogen this spring. So um, that might be a good tool if you're worried about being short this spring. So, Christina, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of waiting until spring to apply that manure? 
So a major advantage to waiting until spring to apply some of our manure is that we're really better aligning our uh, timing of crop nitrogen use with the nitrogen application. So when we apply that manure in the spring, there's just less time for that conversion to happen to nitrate and the leaching to occur uh, before that crop's actually up and actively taking up nitrogen. So that's a huge advantage, you know, especially this year, since no one wants to pay for more nitrogen fertilizer than they have to right now with the prices so crazy high. And just to give an example quick, if you think about what you know, the dollar value of nitrogen is and like a typical, for example, swine finishing manure. Say we apply it at a 4,500 gallon per acre application rate, we can add up to easily to over $200 per acre right now comparing to nitrogen prices. So if we can use most of that $200 per acre right now, that would be a huge cost savings rather than buying that nitrogen. So uh, that's a huge advantage. Another kind of small thing, but if if we consistently, you know, get in the routine of applying a portion of our manure in the spring every year, that can really add some flexibility within our manure storage systems, which can be a very welcome advantage too. And then on the flip side, maybe some challenges. The spring can definitely have challenges for manure application. A lot of people experience the spring as a very busy time and the windows for field work, as we've seen in a few recent years, those windows can be very short. And we often get a lot of rainfall and wet soils in the spring. So that can raise some concerns for potential for compaction when we have those heavy loads out on the field. But there's some adjustments we can make and prioritize drier fields, um, consider limiting load sizes, proper tire inflation, some things to address those concerns. Yeah, so I want to go to Dan here. So Christina did mention a few things there, but what are some of the other uh, best management practices people should be thinking about with spring manure? I'm thinking about compaction in particular. That's often something that people will mention as a major concern with spring. So is that something they need to worry about and how do they alleviate that? Absolutely. Some great uh, questions and points there, Brian. And the first thing I want to say is that spring manure and fall manure really start out the same, right? With any fertilizer, we want to know both what our fields need. So hopefully we have some good soil test results from previous uh, fall to help guide us there, but making sure we get that manure sample this spring as well. So we really know what's in our fertilizer because we want to treat manure like that fertilizer. And unlike some of our other options, it's a lot more variable from time period to time period and getting that sample so we can trust what's actually going on, I think is extremely important to us. As we talk about maybe some of the challenges that we have with spring manure that aren't always present with fall manure, typically in Iowa, we tend to have wetter soils in the spring. I think this year, thus far, depending on what the weather does, and especially last year, uh, we don't always see those, those challenges come through. But there are a few things that we can universally do to try and help alleviate some of those compaction concerns. And the first one is uh, tankers do tend to be uh, pretty big these days for good reasons. Uh, so if we can switch to some of those drag line opportunities, that is one uh, potential method that helps reduce some of the compaction that we can see on our field. The other thing that I, I sometimes see and get questions about is uh, after we put that manure down in the spring, how long do we have to wait before we plant? Is there any concern about row unit bounce if, if we had that drag line system and we're going at an angle to how we put manure down? And for the most part, it only takes a couple days for that soil to settle back or a good rainfall to really help us out there. Uh, but yes, while there is some concern about compaction, I think as Christina mentioned, picking our fields carefully, looking for those fields that give us the best opportunity for success, 
um, maybe avoiding some of those areas where we tend to be a little wetter are a great way to get some ground covered with manure in the spring without becoming fully invested. But then looking for some of that newer equipment opportunities where we have potential to use dragline. And then the third point I'd make on that is if you have fields where we're already using cover crop, uh, it's a great opportunity that provides us more structures to our soil. Uh, it'll That root biomass will help hold up some of our equipment and reduce some of those compactions. So while there are potential concerns about compaction, I think there's at least a few management strategies to help alleviate it. And oftentimes, I think, uh, at least based on some of the research that we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, spring manure application for us has still been more successful than some of that fall application, even if you do have a compaction concern. So we've been having some drier than normal weather across the state, certainly last year. So how does that affect decisions about maybe how much manure to apply or when to apply that? Do we need to be thinking about nitrogen carryover from last year? So what are your recommendations there? Certainly there's some opportunities for some nitrogen carryover. And I think earlier, Christina talked a little bit about uh, when you were earlier in the fall, there's more risk of nutrient loss. I know you and I were involved in an experiment in Nashua for quite a while where we were putting on manure early fall and then late fall and seeing substantially yield differences from that. And while we don't run that experiment anymore, uh, I think one thing we can always take away from it is that the weather is a big driver in turning risk into actual nutrient loss. So as in terms of what that really means for you is just because we're early in the fall doesn't mean we're going to lose that nitrogen, but we know, as Christina said, we're going to turn some of our nitrogen into nitrate. And if we have wetter conditions in the spring where water moves through the soil profile, some of that nitrogen will move through it. And I think we saw quite a bit of that. On the other hand, just this last year up at Nashville where it was drier, uh, we had spring manure and fall manure, uh, well-timed fall manure. And we got roughly equivalent yields for, I think, the first time in, in a long time where we were doing that experiment up there, just because we didn't have much leaching losses at all this year at Nashville. So it's always hard to predict what the weather is going to do in the future. But with the drier weather conditions, we at least have less potential for some loss. And that can mean some carryover. And I think looking back at what your yield was the past year and, and sort of saying, is that in line with what my typical yield? Do I think I used up the nitrogen I put down last year? Or is there a chance for that carryover? Knowing that carryover, depending on what happens this spring, could still turn into zero if all of a sudden our tile lines get full and we really start moving that nitrogen through the soil profile. So, Christina, what about cover crops? Dan mentioned that. So, can a producer establish a cover crop in the fall and then maybe come in back in in the spring and do some manure application, either surface application or possibly inject into that cover crop in the spring? Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And just in general, cover crops really do pair pretty nicely with manure. Um, again, as that nitrogen's converted from the manure to nitrate, that cover crop's uh, then there to take that nitrogen up, nitrate up, rather than allowing it to leach out the soil again. So just to note that, especially when we're in some of those situations we talked about a little earlier and where we're applying manure a little bit too early in the fall, that's a really great um, opportunity to that cover crop to reduce how much nitrate we lose through the profile. So this spring, you had talked about injecting or applying that manure into a cover crop this spring. So uh, the cover crop might really be beneficial for that manure applicator in a few ways. Uh, one, when we're doing cover crops for multiple years, they have the potential to increase or, or improve our infiltration rates into the soil and often give us a little bit better soil structure to be driving on in the spring too. So a few benefits you might see from having that cover crop this spring when we're applying our manure out in the field. 
But yeah, so in terms of that cover crop stand and applying or injecting that manure into it, depending on how high of a disturbance um, injection equipment we're using, we may disturb some of that cover crop stand. So um, basically how, how aggressive are your injectors? If you have some of those uh, deep shanks, um, disc covers, they might do some damage to that cover crop stand. But some of the low disturbance equipment, um, it might be minimal. It's likely also that cover crop termination won't be too long after our manure application. So it might not be a big deal if we do kind of tear up that cover crop a little bit anyways. Um, but if we did have a good stand of the cover crop and we do have some time after that, it, it might bounce back if we have low disturbance application as well. So just to note that if we do have some of that disturbance to the cover crop, be sure that when we're terminating or spraying that cover crop, that it, it's back to the stage where it's actively growing so that we get, get good termination is a big thing to remember. Uh, so I want to get into the economics of the things here a little bit, especially with the spring manure applications. So Dan, what have you seen in the research so far as far as yield differences between fall manure and spring manure? And what do you think might be causing those yield differences? Timing of manure application is something we've been trying to understand and quantify at uh, Nashua for at least a number of years now. And and you're right, it is an important topic, uh, uh, both for the environment and for our bottom line. So we've had a couple different iterations of experiments down there. At one point, we were looking at early fall and late fall manure. And we routinely saw somewhere in the neighborhood of a 40 bushel an acre improvement on average over four years from going from an early fall to late fall manure in a corn soybean rotation. And a big part of that, as Christina sort of implied earlier, is is driven by nutrient loss. Uh, Swine manure, uh, which is what we're using up there, has a lot of its nitrogen in the ammonium form to start with, probably 80% on average in the state. Uh, That nitrogen, the moment you put it in the soil, is readily convertible to nitrate by bacteria. And how quickly that happens is really temperature dependent. So the earlier we are in the fall, the greater extent that it will be transformed. And then if we have Water movement through the soil, uh, either in fall or spring, it's taking that nitrogen with it uh, through the root zone down towards our tile lines where our plants can't get at it. So it re- the yield differences are really driven a lot by how much is lost and then the impact that has on what's really available for our crop to take up. I mean, especially with that early fall, the late fall manure, you can see that trying to push towards a better window where uh, the soils will be cooler and less conversion, less risk happens is really important. And I will say that a few of those years were on the wetter side. Uh, As we've moved from comparing early fall to late fall and looked more at what happens if we move from optimum timing in the fall, sort of as that soil gets towards that 50 degrees and cooling uh, towards spring, oftentimes, again, we've seen relatively substantial uh, yield improvements. In our corn-soybean rotation, on average, uh, we were averaging somewhere around 20 bushels an acre. This past year, we didn't see a difference. And I think a large part of that is really weather dependent, right? It's how quickly does the soil really cool down and how much water moves through that soil. And if we look at 2019, it was a little wetter year up at Nashua. We saw more water movement through the soil profile in that spring. The manure in the fall, even though it was relatively well-timed, still has some nitrogen that gets converted into nitrate and is susceptible for that loss. As you move towards spring, that timing just isn't there. And the nitrogen will still be more in the root zone as we move into the active growing season for our crop. This last year, 2021, up at Nashville, we had almost no water make it to the tile lines, uh, just an inch or so uh, on most of our plots. And because of that, we didn't really have much gradient driving that nitrogen out of the root zone, either last fall or this spring. So timing wasn't quite as important to us. 
So it really does come down to being weather dependent, but the research continues to show that at least on average for most Iowa conditions, going from early to late fall will probably net you somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 bushels an acre. As you move from uh, late fall to spring, it might be zero in some years, but on average, it's probably closer to that 15, 20 bushels of an acre uh, yield improvement, which is pretty substantial, especially when you're starting to talk about five or six dollar corn. We're talking, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 50 to 100 or more dollars per acre from just getting improvements in your manure application timing. Along with our you know, relatively good grain prices right now, we've also got some pretty sky-high fertilizer prices. So how does that play into how much value we should be assigning to our manure? How does that interact with timing decisions and how you'd go about managing that manure? Absolutely. I think uh, most of the time when we see higher fertilizer prices, it really gives us incentive to try and maximize the resources that we do have that manure more effectively. So one of the things we've consistently seen is that by trying to be more in season with our application timing, we get better nitrogen utilization efficiency. And if we're paying more for every pound of nitrogen that we put on that field, it gives us an incentive to either look at what we're doing or potentially having improved income from that timing because we're not having to purchase fertilizer uh, that lets us invest in newer technologies that help get that manure on the field when we want it, whether that be moving towards spring or whether that be eventually moving towards side dress in-season nitrogen application. But I think this year offers a few potential possibilities. The fertilizer prices, nitrogen prices, I think I looked just the other day and were somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000 a ton for ammonia. And that's if you can find it, right? There are some supply chain issues that are limiting what's out there, but uh, that price is still pretty high. And I think while we might traditionally have been in a fall manure situation, If you have a field or your neighbor has a field where uh, they still need to get some nitrogen on, looking for a farm that has some manure potentially available for this spring application can be a great advantage to uh, really test it out and see how it does for you on at least a few acres because that is a substantial savings. And it might leave you with a little less manure this coming fall uh, to utilize, but hopefully by then nitrogen prices have come down a little bit so we can really take advantage of a resource, a homegrown fertilizer that we have on hand now. But I think the big message really is when fertilizer prices are high, it pays for us to try and maximize the value of every pound of nitrogen we put on. And that comes from both improvements in timing and then looking at the rate we're using. I think most manure plans in Iowa are still filled out on the yield goal method. But if you really want to maximize the value of something, I think looking towards tools like Iowa State's maximum return to nitrogen calculator, which tends to recommend a little bit lower rate than what our yield goal method would. Uh, helps us get more value from each pound of nitrogen we put on, spreads our manure over a few more acres, and and helps alleviate some of that high expense of purchasing other commercial fertilizers. Yeah, so you mentioned side dressing. I wanted to get into that. So there has been a lot of experimentation here in the last several years with some new equipment, different ways to try to do this. So can you just walk us through a little bit about how side dressing manure into standing corn works and why producers might want to consider that as an option? Well, I think one reason to consider it is we've seen pretty substantial yield improvements every time we've moved more towards in-season, and the Nashua data really points that out, right? Moving from early fall to late fall was a huge benefit for us. Uh, Moving from well-timed manure in the fall to uh, spring manure, again, we saw a yield benefit. And really, that comes down to with the weather patterns we've had in Iowa, we typically have wet springs that drive some of that nitrogen we put down with manure or other fertilizers through the soil profile and our crops don't get as much opportunity to collect them. 
if we move more towards uh, getting some of the fraction of that nitrogen on while the crop's actively growing, it has less risk of movement away from that root zone. And we can really maximize how much of it is in the corn that we grew, right? Uh, which is what we all want to do. There are some challenges, obviously, with side dressing. And with manure, uh, those come through a little bit bigger. People have side dressed successfully with tanks. One thing you need to pay attention to with tanks is your wheel setup. And oftentimes people who've done it with tanks tend to use a little bit older tank where we can get away with some uh, smaller tires that fit between the rows uh, and just the placement of that. But it can be done successfully. It does have to clear the corn, right? So just like uh, in the old days when we were cultivating corn for weed control, or if we still do, once the corn gets a little bigger, you might snap it off uh, when it's uh, V3, V4. Most of the time we can drive over and it bounces back, but the same does happen with manure. Uh, there has been a fair amount of work in both Ohio and uh, Minnesota that has done that successfully. People have also looked at using drag line systems and uh, sort of the same advice applies. Uh, there are some extra challenges with the drag line. That hose is going to get drug across our cornfield over the top of our growing corn as we do it. Uh, it might rough up our leaves a little bit, but if we're early enough in the growing season, that corn bounces back very successfully. Again, trying to be before V4, that's probably the, the cutoff we don't want to be any later with than V4 with our corn. Because if it gets a little bit bigger, uh, we do run more risk of snapping it off. Uh, with dragline systems, oftentimes people have been removing the injection unit where the hose will lie just so that the hose rides a little higher in the field. It makes pulling it across the field a little bit easier. But those are some systems where people have already had some, some pretty good success. Uh, certainly, there are some challenges with that dragline system. Rather than going at a 45 across the field, we do have to drive right down the cornrows, right, as we try and lay that hose out. So that sometimes requires a little more effort and hose humping and, and making sure that we're getting things set up correctly to go with the rows, but it can be done. And then there are some newer alternative systems that are coming to the market. One, for instance, is the Cadman system. Uh, it's a hard hose system, which means our flow rates generally aren't quite as high, although it does depend a little bit on the equipment. Uh, but on that hard hose system, the hose reel is basically slave to the application tractor. So as you drive down the field, that hose reel will roll out the hose as you go. Uh, as you turn around and come back, the swing arm lets you drive back uh, with the hose staying in the same roll, and it will uh, reel it back up at the speed you're driving. Uh, and then when you come down to the end of the field and have to turn around to do the next roast, it will follow you across. And that minimizes the amount of corn that the hose gets drug over. So we can be a little later. I think it's an interesting opportunity. And then there's some more irrigation style equipment that people are also using. Think of it similar to uh, the Haggy High Boys that maybe we're more familiar with, uh, but with Y drops on it. And uh, again, pulling a hose through the field uh, where that hose moves up and down the rows. And I know uh, Rain360 is a company that has a product that we're hopeful to get some research started on real soon. We have a CIG grant to support that where we're looking at some uh, in-season manure application uh, with some new pieces of equipment. But I think from those yield improvements that we've seen, when you start talking $100, $200, $300 an acre of potential yield improvement, better nitrogen utilization efficiency, uh, that does give us an opportunity to try and invest in some more of this equipment and I think that's sort of where the industry's at right now. Yeah, lots of interesting uh, new technologies on the horizon there. So just as we're wrapping up here, I wanted to ask if either of you have anything you want to mention that we didn't cover so far or any resources that you recommend people check out for more information. I guess I would recommend the uh, Iowa Manure Management Action Group website. Some good newsletters to hook up into there. And also the uh, Integrated Crop Management uh, blog. Brian has some good articles. Dan has some good articles on some of this research that we talked about today. 
Um, and then also I mentioned the Crop 3140 on the extension store if you're interested in the late spring soil nitrate test. So that would be my resources I would suggest. Absolutely. I think a few good ones anytime we're getting ready to put manure on is uh, checking out uh, calibrating liquid manure application systems. And that's uh, Iowa State publication AE3601. Uh, gives you an idea of how uniform we are across the toolbar. And I think that's something good to check out every spring. If you're working with solid manure, we have a similar publication. It's PM1941. And then really figuring out how to use our manure best starts with that manure sample. So if you have questions about how to interpret your manure sample results or looking at what are some best practices for making manure fertility decisions, Crop 3108 is a really good publication on that, as is PMR1003, which is using manure nutrients for crop production in Iowa. And they really walk you through what are some of the best practices in terms of how do I know how much volatilization I might get with different application methods and systems and how much of that nitrogen is really available for my crop. Excellent. So uh, Dan and Christina, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your thoughts on spring manure applications. Um, you can follow Dan on Twitter at Dr. Manure, of course, and you can follow us on Twitter at IA Field Ag E-N-G-R-S. And as Christina mentioned, don't forget to check out that Iowa Manure Management Action Group website. You can find that at extension.iastate.edu forward slash IMMAG. And there's lots of uh, news and all things related to manure here in Iowa. And also the ISU Extension Store. You can just do a web search for ISU Extension Store. You should be able to find all those resources that they mentioned. And please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And also uh, feel free to drop us a line at engineeryourfarm at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear comments or suggestions for future episodes. You've been listening to the Engineering Your Farm podcast. Mm-hmm.